Hi everyone, Drew Perot here, host of the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm so excited to have you back and to jump into today's episode. My goal is to get you excited, to give you a little preview about what you're about to get into. Our featured guest today on the podcast is Dr. Fabian Tai, who's an optometrist based in Mississauga, Ontario, just outside of Toronto. And we're diving into this topic that frankly, I didn't know much about prior to researching Dr. Tai, and it's the topic of a modality called vision therapy. If I had to give a theme to today's episode, it's all about exploring the connection between the brain and our eyes. It's so much deeper than I understood before. Some perfect examples of where we're gonna explore this in, we're gonna talk about learning disabilities. We're gonna talk about learning disabilities like ADHD, ADD, dyslexia, and how they might have a connection to our eyes and what we can use vision therapy for when it comes to treating these conditions. We're gonna talk about traumatic brain injuries, You know, we've had Dr. Titus Chu on the podcast before, deep diving into traumatic brain injuries. And Dr. Fabian has many of his own patients that have had a traumatic brain injury who come into his office and they have a hard time focusing. They can't retain as much information as they once did. They can't process the same way. And he works with them using vision therapy to help them get back potentially some of that focus some of that ability to retain that they didn't have before by focusing on the eyes in addition to talking about nutrition and other areas. Super fascinating here. Again, I consider myself to be someone who knows a lot about the wellness world and I had never really explored this avenue of wellness. Oh yeah, and we're also going to talk a little bit about performance and how our eyes are related to performance and what we can do to protect our eyes from the modern world, screens, other things that are all stimulating, maybe overstimulating our eyes and the things that are practical that we can do to protect them. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. Before we get started and I jump into my intro, I want to ask you for a quick favor. Would you mind, please, if you love this podcast, going and leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts on your iPhone. When you leave a review, it lets the world know that you vote for this podcast and it helps all those algorithms and everything present the podcast to other people who might be interested in them. And our team reads every review. It would mean the world to us. So consider leaving a review if you've been enjoying this podcast. All right. So here we go. Dr. Fabian Tai. I'm going to jump into my intro, welcoming him into the podcast. Welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Perowitz executive producer of the Broken Brain docuseries. This podcast is dedicated to continuing the conversations that Dr. Hyman and I started during the Broken Brain series. Each week, we'll invite a new guest who we think will help improve your brain health, help you feel better, and most importantly, live your best life. Today's guest on the podcast is Dr. Fabian Tai. Dr. Tai is an optometrist who specializes in neurovisual development. He is a board-certified fellow of the College of Optometrists in the Vision Department, a clinical adjunct professor at the University of Waterloo School of Optometry, and a founding board of director of the Canadian Optometrist in Vision Therapy and Rehabilitation. He has a private practice in Mississauga, Ontario, that provides eye care to patients throughout the world with a focus on vision therapy, which you're going to get a chance to learn about more in this podcast He's lectured to different professionals about vision care as he's committed to educating the public and professionals about achieving optimal visual performance and helping them understand the connection between the eyes and the brain. 
Dr. Tai feels blessed to see his patients achieve their goals in life through vision therapy and his passion about helping children who struggle in school, brain injured patients, ranging from concussions to stroke, and also performance related to professional athletes who want to increase their ability in sport. Dr. Tai, welcome to the Broken Brain Podcast. Thank you, Drew. Thanks for having me here. So I'd love a little origin story, and I'd love, how to, I'd love to understand how you ultimately came about learning about vision therapy. For me, before I introduce anything to you know, my private practice, I got to do it for myself. That's just the type of person I am. Um, to give you a backstory about myself is that um, I have trouble crossing, or I had trouble crossing my eyes, um, tr- to the point that I would always fall asleep when I'd study. You know, this is, and so just, I'm going to stop you right there. So you had trouble crossing your eyes. So do you mean intentionally crossing your eyes? No, um, unconsciously. So every time you read and you're, Oh, meaning it would happen to you. You would would sort of have your eyes cross unconsciously as you read. No, um, generally speaking, um, when you read, we all have to cross our eyes. So in optometry, there is a test that we call, you know, NPC, but basically it's where how far can you cross your eyes and you're supposed to be able to cross your eyes pretty much to your nose. And we all grew up with that, you know, our parents used to say, don't cross your eyes, don't cross your eyes. Yeah, it's that's my association stuff. with it. I didn't even think that it's natural for your eyes to cross when you read and that's what you have to do. Yes, it is. It's really important. So I would encourage all parents to let their kids cross their eyes because then they're really practicing and they're fooling around with their vision. And that's what you should be able to do. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be, it's, it's an experiment. It's, it's knowing your limits and testing out what you can or cannot do. So it's almost like crossing your eyes is like, it's like stretching. That's right. Yeah, you should be able to touch your toes. So in that way, if you can't, ironically, not be able to touch your toes or having tight hamstrings is actually related to visual issues. So going back to your story, you had a hard time crossing your eyes. Yeah, so I, I knew that. I actually discovered that in fourth year optometry. I was, you know, in my rotations, working long hours, studying for board exams. And one part of my life, you know, when I was in a rotation, it really kind of scared me because I actually started to see double. I actually started to see two two of everything when I'm looking through my medical equipment. And then it was partly due to the fact that my eyes were just not behaving the way that they should be. Um, so having no, the knowledge of vision therapy, I started to apply the techniques. I started to do vision therapy in myself. And for years in, you know, previously, I would practice what's called a pencil push-up. That's basically, since you can't cross your eyes, I would basically try to, you know, force my eyes to cross, you know, every, you know, I would do like sets, like push-ups almost. So you'd have a pencil in front of you, and we're going to talk about techniques and everything, but just so I understand, you'd have a pencil in front of you, and you'd bring it closer to your nose. That's right. And further away, and see if you could maintain the concentration on it. That's right, and that was sort of um, an old recommendation where, you know what, you have trouble crossing your eyes, so let's just focus on crossing your eyes. You know, I was able to do that, you know, with practice and I was very diligent at it, but I still couldn't cross my eyes, you know, in unnatural settings. What I meant by that is that what if I had to cross my eyes catching a ball? What if I had to cross my eyes reading a book? I would still feel that my vision would actually start to see double. And that's the part where it really clicked into me that this pencil push-up does not work. There was actually a study, a national study that was run and it was called the CITT study, Convergent Insufficient Treatment Trial, um, where they actually tested four categories. One was pencil push-ups, one was pencil push-ups along with computer vision therapy, 
Another one was a placebo office-based vision therapy. And another one was an office-based vision therapy program where, you know, the study basically proved that you needed, in order to properly correct your inabilities to do visual tasks, you need to be based in an office-based vision therapy program in order to effectively uh, improve your visual skills. And knowing that, you know, I started my journey and it really changed my life. It really changed the way I, I, I talk, the way I think, uh, the way even I understand my patients. I, you know, I background about myself is that you would never think that I had a visual issue. You know, I was your kid in high school, 96 average overall, almost a perfect GPA coming into optometry school. And people would never think that, you know what, vision therapy is something that I would need, you know, but it was all at an expense, you know. And what were you noticing? Okay, so it's a little bit more difficult for you to read, right? It may be difficult for you to play certain sports because you couldn't catch were there other things that you noticed or other side effects from not being able to cross your eyes appropriately um, that you noticed for yourself? No, actually, I didn't know. Like, I, I thought that was just me. I thought I, you know, how my mom would say, I inherited a tie gene. That was just my personality. And then that's the part where after learning about sort of the consequences of not being able to or struggling to read, your body actually goes into fight or flight. You go into the sympathetic nervous system. I'm so that's actually what I was talking about. Were, yes. you, were you noticing other things that didn't have to do with your eyes of how that of the impact of not being able to cross your eyes appropriately? Yes, now I do. So now, okay, now you do. But before hindsight, you didn't, no. before you just thought it was normal. Yeah, it was. Um, it, when I was in grade eleven, I actually was involved in a pretty serious car accident. Um, luckily, you know, I, I survived. Um, and then I think when I when I really reflect back, that was the time in my life that I started to really experience a lot of issues. I actually developed pretty severe acne. You know, my acne was pretty bad that I had it for maybe two or three years. I went through two rounds of six months of Accutane. And it wasn't until at that time in my life, this is where it ties back to nutrition, that I met a naturopath. This was like in the mid-90s. So. Wow. The naturopath, and coming from, again, from an Asian family, I went to my mom and I said, Mom, I need to go see this naturopath. And my mom goes, a what? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, the funny part was we go see the naturopath, and the naturopath goes, again, this is in the mid-90s, you need to stop eating wheat. And back then, there wasn't, you know, in Canada, it wasn't Whole Foods, wasn't a lot of... There was no know, term of even gluten-free back then. That's right. So trying to really cut out wheat from my diet was a real struggle, but I was desperate. Like, it really affected me emotionally, socially, psychologically, you know, with regards to, you know, my acne was really bad. It really affected my self-esteem. So it wasn't until I started to remove wheat from my diet, and now we know that it affects the gut lining that my acne started to improve. And this is sort of me at that time asking the specialist, is this gonna help? And they're like, no, it has nothing to do with it. Food at that time had no real effect with regards to acne. So that really introduced me to the concept of nutraceuticals. How does nutrients really affect your body? I came later back um, as an optometrist where we talked about how nutrition can affect myopia, how it can affect macular degeneration, glaucoma. So that's where I was really gung-ho about it. But the vision aspect was still missing. So that's the part where 
when I really discovered that vision is really the brain, and it wasn't the fact that my muscles were weak. It, my muscles were perfectly fine, but it was probably that car accident where I suffered a concussion that really altered how my eyes worked together. You know, I really had to work hard. I was luckily I had the discipline through my martial arts, you know, background where. I would really be able to kind of mind over matter, just sit there and study my 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 butt off, and I would achieve my marks. But again, it came with a consequence, and it came to the consequence that I became less social. I was so intense in my studies, I achieved my marks, but yet I didn't realize that you know what it can be done an easier way. You know, vision or studying or playing sports could be easier, and that's when. You know, I really kind of,、uh, I would say,、uh, felt it deep in my heart that this really works. And I can tell you from a doctor's perspective, as a patient's perspective, that this has literally changed my life. And that's sort of my my life mission is to affect and change people's lives through vision therapy. Well, I'm excited to jump more into it. I want to go back to something that you mentioned, which was there can be consequences. It's not just that you. Can't read as well. You mentioned something about fight or flight, and now in hindsight, what's the relationship to the vision issues that you had and the fight or flight response that happens inside the body? I think I was pretty much running on empty. I I was、uh, I was very moody. I would say I would have very short attention. I would I would say react fairly quickly.、Um, you know, my skin was horrible. My diet was horrible. I craved a lot of sugar, and again, I thought that was just a normal thing. But I realized that, you know, being in the sympathetic mode, and for the listeners, that means that you're in fight or flight. You know, my body was not balanced. I was never relaxed. You know, I would never get into that parasympathetic state. And you think that was because of the concussion? In、oh yeah. Looking yes. back in hindsight, and obviously in your clinical work, you see a lot of patients who have had a, some sort of traumatic brain injury, and they've gone through similar things. That's right. So, so just to make sure that I understand correctly, so you feel like this concussion happened, happened, that caused this this issue that you noticed with your vision. Your body was responding. What is it specifically about us not being able to have proper vision that creates this that response inside the body?、Um, I guess for me at that time, and it's it still rings true for everyone today, is that most of our lives are pretty much based in front of us. You know, we're stuck in a room. We're stuck working in front of a computer. Our kids—they have a, a lot more information to digest than what you and I ever had to digest growing up. And really, when you're looking at something up close, and if you can't simply cross your eyes or focus properly, your body is going to react to it. It's stressful. No one wants to fail. And that's where, looking back at early in my career and now being a father, you're going, "Wow." Kids really love to learn. Kids have this this innate passion to discover new things and want to be and achieve their best. They don't want to be second rate. You know, they want to be the top. But what prevents them from doing that, and with respect to education, because eighty percent of how you learn is through the visual system, is. You know, if your vision's not working properly, it's going to cause stress. You don't want to fail. No one wants to fail. You know, and that's where your body starts to become fight or flight. I need to attack this problem. I need to figure this out, or else I'm going to get bad grades. Mom and dad might say something about me, or what are my friends going to think? You know, God forbid. You know, I say sarcastically with air quotes. Is that you know 
that was sort of that, you know, that mentality that we all have is what do other people think? And at the end of it, it really comes down to what do you think about yourself? And, and I'm trying to clearly distinguish that it's not about you. It's about your vision. Your vision doesn't perform well. It's not the fact that for me, Fabian had trouble reading. It was the fact that my vision had trouble processing the information, understanding what I read. Why did I have to read it five million times? And why did I have to write down all of my notes and document things and rehearse it over my head versus I had some friends in university and you probably had them too, where you're going, you're done? You're done reading? You're done studying? And you're playing what? And I'm like, wow, I wish I could do that. And you know, I, I got through school and I excel, excel, and I love learning still, and I read a lot now. But it's, um, yeah, what I said is the consequences is like not living life. It's not, you know, not, not being happy, not living life to the fullest. I was buried in my books. Because every time you would open your eyes, it was almost stressful. So anything that you're looking at or anything that you're trying to process, it was creating this stress inside of your body. Now, I know some people are listening here because it's so great that we're talking about vision because we didn't talk about it at all during the Broken Brain series. And of course, you know, we hear that, I'd love to hear from you if this is true. And you know, you hear that quote of how much of the body's processing power and energy is just used for vision. You know, it's like quite a high percentage in proportion to the size of our, of our eyes, but everything starts with the, starts with the eyes. So, it, you know, most people have this association that Going back to your example, I just don't like to read. They might have just gotten used to it. Like, oh, I don't like to read. Oh, I just, oh, my eyesight is just, is just bad. Or this is just happening. Oh, I just get, I have a friend who gets migraines if they focused for too long of a period of time. And what you're saying is that these things aren't normal. There's some sort of underlining cause that we can sometimes connect it back to. Yes, 100%. I agree with that statement is that, you know, you're, they say that your brain consumes about 20% of your metabolic energy or, or maybe even higher depending on what studies you read. And two-thirds of the brain is dedicated to vision. Vision is not just located in what we know as an occipital lobe. It's not just located at the back of your brain. It's actually your entire brain that you're using for your vision. Vision is really, you know, the way my community looks at it is it's emergent of all the senses. Vision is like even as we talk and we're trying to tell stories, you're picturing what this could mean. You know, you're, tra- you're, you're sort of converting that auditory message into something visual as your listeners are doing right now. They're trying to imagine what did it feel like or, you know, experiences that they have in their own life that they've come, something, they've come across something very similar. So we're constantly using our vision. You could be blind and still use what we'd say is your vision. So it's not just about eyesight. It's not about how sharp you see it. Vision is really an encompassing entity it's not just one thing and i love that because in the body a big part of our broken brain series in these podcasts is dedicated to unpacking the gut isn't just digestion it's so much more it's our immune system it's this and we're doing that now for the eyes so let's go in a little bit deeper so you practice this methodology called vision therapy so just in layman's terms what is vision therapy um, vision, tra- uh, vision therapy is basically um, eye training, you know, but it's not just eye training. Um, for me, for my practice, uh, we work a lot with the body. We work a lot with what's called primitive reflexes. We work a lot with lighting. We work a lot with filters, um, the prescription of your glasses, the types of frames, the lenses you buy, the coatings you buy. 
all have an effect on your brain. And really, what we're trying to do is we're trying to incorporate new novel exercises so your brain has the environment to learn. We're actually trying to kind of connect new neural networks within your brain that you've never had. You know, it's not instantaneous that you can gain results within a week, but after a few weeks, you will start to see that things are changing. You, what you could not do before, you're going to start to be able to do all of a sudden. You're going to see a change in behavior and in the way you process information. So people love examples, and I think that your example was perfect. What are some other examples that you can share of like conditions of why people would come and see you. So there's the whole performance angle, which we're gonna talk about a little bit later on, but who are the types of patients and what are they coming to you with to get support on? Um, there are three main categories. Um, I would say types of patients I see. One, I would just say it's not just limiting to kids, but one is kids who struggle in school. They usually have an IEP, which stands for Educational Independent Educational Plan. So basically, these are kids who can't keep up in school. They need extra provisions. What traditionally would be called some sort of learning disorder or learning disability or something. Yes, they usually have some sort of diagnosis similar to that. Or I have kids who are on the autism spectrum. I have kids who, you can name it, have attention issues. Uh, you talk on your website about dyslexia sometimes. So dyslexia is, um, I would say, respecting, I would say, my colleagues, I don't really delve into dyslexia. I just say that the visual system needs to be properly ruled out before you have an accurate diagnosis. You know, there's a lot of patients, there's a higher patient base who have been diagnosed with attention deficit that actually have vision problems, you know, compared to patients who don't have the diagnosis of attention deficit. So there's this subpopulation that's not means that every patient that has attention deficit has vision problems, but there's a greater amount that have a vision problem that can look like it's attention deficit. So if you resolve the visual issues, the, the attention deficit or, def, you know, deficiency resolves itself. You know, we all have, I would say, I, I definitely think I have some sort of ADD like of mindset where we have some limited amount of concentration. And at what point is it clinically significant that you would then diagnose it? And, you know, with for you to be diagnosed with attention deficit, it has to be quite extreme. And that's where it would affect you know, your, your current life. So in the broken brain series, we did an entire episode on ADD and we talked about the gut brain connection and how, uh, you know, the role that that plays into it. We talked about diets that are high in sugar and the role that that plays into it. We talked about how antibiotics and not having enough of the good bacteria and too much of the bad bacteria can play a role in traditional ADD. Help us understand what role does vision play as a piece of that? Well, going back to vision is the brain, you know, when I, I started to make the connection and it was really obvious when I have my patients coming in and they had trouble with the exercises that we provide, then we started to really dig deeper with the parents and saying, what is your son or daughter really eating? Wow, they didn't eat or wow, what did they eat before coming here? That really affected their performance in our clinic. You know, they could not function as well. And until we started to really educate our patient base, could you please start to clean up the diet? Could you help focus on improving your gut bacteria? You know, when you start to kind of feed the brain with more nourishment, 
the brain is able to heal. You're able to make more neural connections, which is what we know as neurogenesis. You're able to make more neural pathways, which is what we're trying to create. So, you know, think about vision as we're kind of laying down the roads, you know, that's connecting, you know, two cities, you know, but sugar or a poor diet is really kind of like, you know, you have the wrong ingredients, this road is going to collapse. And it's, you know, all the effort that we made could quickly, you know, dissolve or, or, or get worse or, you know, or worse is you can develop a worse habit trying to kind of create these new neural pathways. And so uh, if I'm understanding correctly, and having read a little bit about your work, it's okay, there's deeper root issues that we want to look at gut bacteria, food, etc, etc, nutritional deficiencies, sometimes blockages that are there. Um, but because the brain is always looking for creating these neural pathways, just speaking in total layman's terms, broad picture, <laughs> for those listening, I'm not an optometrist, I'm not a medical doctor, so I'm just trying to understand this information. So those root issues could have created visual dysfunction for these kids, which makes it hard for them to concentrate, which makes them hard to do processing, reading, whatever it might be. Um, and then once you address some of those things, it starts to get better, but there could still be some of the same neural pathways that cause some of the vision issues for these kids. Is that a fair statement? Like meaning that's why you give them these exercises because just changing diet alone or just doing you know, changing the gut bacteria may not change this visual disability that a child has. A hundred percent. So in some cases, and you know, some people just need to change your lifestyle and things get a lot better. But for some people, that's not enough. Or, you know, what's more importantly, which is what's happening for kids is that they don't have a chance to catch up. It's no time out. I need a year to take off and they need to clean this up. It's more like, no, 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 you got to keep on moving. And on top of it, you got to read earlier. You know, how many kids do I see now that I'm like, wow, you're five or you're six and you know how to read? I was like, I definitely did not know how to read when I was five or six. So the kids are really pushed forward these days. There's a lot more information and they don't have a chance to breathe and they don't have a chance to just clean things up. They have to kind of integrate every aspect of medicine all at once to help them accomplish what they need in life, which is basically moving forward. So again, jumping around a little bit, what's some of the things that you guys might do at your clinic that you've seen in visual therapy that there's evidence for to help change some of the processing, for instance, for a child that might be diagnosed traditionally with ADD? Um, besides talking about you know nutrition, and, mm -hmm. uh, and yep. you've covered it Which is, by the way, it's so great, yes. like that people are going to their eye doctor and that they're being told to go to, you know, in Mississauga, there's this great Whole Foods I was telling you that yes. I've been to many times. It's like, okay, well, the first thing that I want you to do is I want you to eat a better diet. Like how amazing is that? That's that we right. live in a day and age, we need a million more of you. <laughs> You're right. That's the first thing I say is like you need to reduce the inflammation in your body. Yeah. Okay. So actually, yes. let's stop there for a second yes. because that's a great connection. We talked a lot about inflammation being one of the core parts of chronic disease in the Broken Brain series, and Dr. Hyman broke that down. What role does inflammation play when it comes to our eyes and our processing and our and our body? Just make that connection for people who are are new to this. Um. Inflammation is chronic inflammation specifically affects your brain health. Your brain is like literally shrinking. You know, those neural connections that you're trying to make each and every day, you're trying to learn a new skill, you're trying to learn something new. 
inflammation basically is reducing that. It's, it's making it a lot harder. You know, vision particularly, or the eye isn't just about the eye. Inf- the inflammation does wreak havoc within the eye. So when you talk about it, you know, like, um, like structurally, I would say, or, you know, when you go in to, to go see your eye doctor because you have a red eye, that's inflammation. Dry eyes is inflammation. Those are huge proponents in their society that more and more people are being diagnosed. Our glands in our eyes are dying because of the fact that there's too much inflammation. It's actually killing off what's called our meibomian glands. They're like the oil glands that's around your in your eyelids that pump oil onto your tears and protects your eyes to kind of coat it. So that's what keeps your eyes moist. But then when your eyes water and they water excessively, it's because of the fact that inflammation could play a part. Or you could have you know, chronic strain because you have trouble focusing and your eyes have trouble blinking. And when your eyes have trouble blinking, that's going to cause more dry eyes. And there's this interrelationship. It's really hard to separate. Is it just this or just that? It's really a combination of all these factors that really then disease then shows up. And it's, you know, more, our bodies are very resilient. Our bodies are, I would say, amazing and, and to the point that we still don't understand what our, how our body reacts. It's very resistant, tolerant. You're able to adapt to change, you know, climate change. You're, you're flying back and forth throughout the world and you can adjust the time zones. You can adjust the temperatures. You know, in Toronto, we just had sweltering heat last week at plus 40 degrees Celsius and my air conditioning broke and I thought, oh my Lord, how am I going to survive and I survived, you know, but now as you, you know, as you flew in, it's, it's cold. I, I'm wearing my wool coat jacket today and I'm thinking, wow, I'm really cold. It feels like winter today, but it's not. But it was like a 20, 30 degree drop almost depending on how you, how it feels. So going back to that, it's like inflammation can play a, a chronic inflammation can sometimes either come from strain that directly can happen on the eye. I'm sure computers, which we're going to talk about technology, etc. Lighting plays a, yes. a role in that, which we're going to talk about. Um, but it can also come internally through just our diet. Yes. And I believe it's the it's the vagus nerve, right? Yes. That inflammation can travel up and down. And obviously, there's localized inflammation too. But that inflammation, I can remember um, one, hearing a story about a patient at our clinic, the Ultra Wellness Center that Dr. Hyman and I have in uh, Lenox, Massachusetts, um, having wore glasses, you know, just light level glasses. There was some strain they couldn't exactly focus. And them going on a gluten-free diet as part of a combination of things that were there that they were being treated for. We weren't treating them for their eye care. And them noticing that their vision improved and they didn't always need those, those glasses. So interesting how inflammation plays a role in even our just basic concepts that we take for granted, which are, you know, the fact of, of this person needing uh, light level reading glasses and then no longer needing yes them. yeah inflammation what it does is it kind of um sets your brain off to get into that sympathetic mode you're in fight or flight you're basically under stress you think that you know there's a war out there and what happens to your your eyes specifically is that your pupils dilate you focus less so those are sort of the 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 signals that your brain is giving to you know your eyes and to the rest of your body that you know what this is not needed you know we're in danger so really what we're going to do is we're just going to get rid of all these things because we're just going to focus on survival mode and that puts strain on your work life or your school life so let's go back to the child with ADD the first step that you tell the parents is we want to remove potential sources of chronic inflammation in the body yes and then let's go from there 
what could be some of the next things? Obviously, every kid is different. Every patient comes in differently. But what are some of the things, broad strokes, that you would look at uh, when it comes to vision therapy for that child with ADD? So you're talking about before they get into vision therapy, if they, if to see if they. Oh no! Even if, as vision therapy as being a part of the process, you know, what are the things that you tell them in totality? So in general, besides cleaning up their gut and their nutrition, I then focus on good habits. So key habits are a reduction of blue light. So avoiding the computers late at night. You know, a good visual posture is like, or what I mean by that is habits is when you're reading that the book should be slanted. You know, when you hold a piece of paper, you normally would hold it up in your hands. And as you can see here, I'm tilting it. You're not going to really put the piece of paper flat on the table. So putting the paper flat on the table creates strain in your visual system already. So your eyes are right away has to work harder. After that, you know, kind of cleaning up their environment, you can say we're trying to kind of, you know, I would say um, work on the external things. Then the internal work is through vision training. And that's where um, if they're able to, we want to work with them within our clinic to help build those neural connections, help them, you know, if it is a, if it is a parent or if we've diagnosed it properly in a way that is there a visual issue? If there's a visual issue of crossing your eyes not or not being able to cross your eyes or a visual issue of not being able to change your focus or even like some kids are born with poor focus. Like we expect that your eyes should be up and running, you know, right as soon as you're born but nutrition again plays a huge role in um you know in utero you know what the mom takes dha omega-3s that's what i counsel a lot of my uh, women who are pregnant is please consume your dha you want to really build that brain's uh, the baby's brain you really want to you know develop their sensory perceptive you know um networks you want to move around you want the baby should be feeling movement baby should be hearing your voice because these are all senses that are developing in utero when you come out your visual system actually is not a hundred percent developed as you as we all know is that babies don't see they don't see um 2020 they see 2400 or worse they just see that shadow and they don't really see color color develops later in life so the visual system is primed but yet it needs proper external or proper um, external cues to really help them develop their visual system better. They've done research, I guess this is unethical now, but they've removed you know, parts of the brain, they would lock up animals in certain environments, and they would remove certain stimuli, and they would see that these types of animals would be deficient. They could not cope once you release them into a regular world. So uh, that's the one thing I'm, I, I commonly preach about is that, you know what, you got to let your kids just roam around, you know, as, and that's where it really hit me hard as a parent is that, wow, you mean that putting my baby just sleeping on its back and not really emphasizing tummy time really affects vision? And I'm your optometrist and I'm thinking, Oh my lord! I gotta do tummy time. We gotta do tummy time, honey. And then this is like tummy time every day because tummy time really helps builds the foundation of posture, which then affects the foundation of uh, vision movements, your eye movements. So it's it's sort of the building blocks, like how you're building a building. You know, you have to build the foundation properly so the building has the capacity to rise. You know, with the foundation being kind of shaky or m there's parts missing your building or your visual system can only go so high or it can only go in certain directions. And that's the part where 
with you know our hopes in our clinic is that we want to provide more options the ability for you to choose things in life you know going back to my story is that even though i had trouble you know crossing my eyes i used other visual you know i would say processes that i was very strong at you know i had a very good ability to recall information i was able to kind of piece together things in 3d organic chemistry was one of my favorite courses and you don't hear that too often that's right people thought wow you like this course and i'm like oh i love it it was just like it was like tetris but on steroids and that's how i thought about it and i thought this is easy and then that's but that's where my visual skills really excelled at that was my and you think part of that just just to kind of talk about that for a second um, you know, the body is always adapting. There's this uh, survey amongst Fortune 500 CEOs and um, a high percentage of them had dyslexia. Yes. And it was Malcolm Gladwell who was writing about why is it that it's such a higher percentage of CEOs that have dyslexia than the normal population. And one of the things that they were theorizing is that, well, as a child, if you have dyslexia, you have to get good at other things, you have to compensate. So if you can't read properly, you need other people to break down information for you, might need help from other people. So these other ways that your body adapts to uh, what would be considered some sort of um, lack of ability. So do you think that was part of it in your development? I Um, completely agree with your statement, 110%. And in general in life when you can't move in one direction you're going to move in the other you're constantly moving that's sort of how we're built and in my opinion one reason why you have successful ceos like richard branson when i hear his story you know you had dyslexia severe dyslexia he had to be mentally strong he had to come up with ways to solve problems you know and his way of solving problems were out of the box, you would say, is like, oh, I never saw it that way, but he had to because he didn't see it the other way, which is what everyone else is seeing. And that's the part where you gain success. But also for me, that internal conflict, and it's not something you wish upon, is like, that's what makes you stronger, you know? And that's the part where all these struggles that we come across in life, it, it has time to internally reflect and, you know, but the consequence of that is you can get in your head a lot. Yeah, and, and just for as many as there's these Fortune 500 CEOs that are dyslexic, there's you know a million times more people that had dyslexia, didn't have the right opportunities, or had dyslexia in other things that weren't able or their life circumstances didn't allow them to turn that immediately into some sort of opportunity. So it's not like that we would wish upon our kids to have dyslexia right. and it's going to be automatic. <laughs> We want to create the best circumstances. I think the takeaway for me is that even if you have one of these things, even if your child was diagnosed with ADD, even if you have a visual um, uh, disorder, even if you've had dyslexia, even if you've had something where you've traditionally been told that your brain is broken or your eyesight is broken, there are ways to not only address that, which we're talking about here, but you might have often got other gifts from it too. That's right. I would say... Uh, we all have our stories. We all have sort of our obstacles, uh, I would say, or blessings in life. And it's um, that's what makes us unique. And that's what makes us special in our lives. And I would say my patients that I've come across that we help on a daily basis, their stories really inspire me, you know, from how they were able to be so creative and so gifted at so many other aspects that 
they were teaching me the things that I was not good at. They would be like, hey, Dr. Tai, look at this. And I thought, oh, my Lord, I, I can't do that. And you know what? And that's where you really appreciate that real full spectrum. You really feel that, you know what? I can do this really well, but these other things, they're just as important. And we need to get to it because it's it's important you know, for us to be well-rounded and I would say uh, to really improve sort of our, our brain health as well, because your brain is really thriving off of sort of different stimuli. You know, the other patients that I help with are, are concussion patients. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that. We've talked a little bit about kids. Obviously, kids can get concussions too, but a lot of the adult patients that you see are people that have had concussions or some sort of traumatic brain injury. Yeah, more specifically, when I first started, like a lot of my high-performing executives or high-performing executives who had concussions would actually seek me first because they would be the ones that would realize that based on their demands and their work-life balance, they cannot process information anymore. And it would really frustrate them. They would be these types of, you know, I would say um, uh, people that had to manage a company, that had, you know, hundreds of employees working under them, and they were responsible for all these lives. And they were really, you know, they developed anxiety. They developed a lot of, you know, emotional issues, psychological issues. They could not sleep. They were like in this tailspin in their life. And, you know, the visual system is required more in different types of jobs or performances. Vision works in different ways. Doesn't matter what type of job you have. But these are people who are very intellectual in a way that they have to process a lot of information at one given time to make a quick decision. So the, they, that patient base has really taught me that, wow, you can lose it in a flash. And that's where it really rooted even stronger that vision and brain go hand in hand because a concussion is a traumatic brain injury. And so when somebody comes to you like that, some executive, uh, somebody that's high performance that had some brain injury, whether it's through sports, whether it's through an accident, whether sometimes it's just being at home. And I remember one time, like I just got up way too quick and there was like a concrete block that was part of my kitchen and I just hit it like, but at a massive force. And, um, so whether it's some sort of injury that's there and they come to you, what do you tell them or how do you begin to look at what they've been through and start to parse it so you know what you can do for them? The first because thing most I, of their doctors, I just want to say, the the sort of standard of care is rest, take time off if you can, you know, and that's pretty much it. The new standard of care should be as soon as you have an injury that affects your life, you should be in to see someone. Just like how if you've had a sport injury, you're going to get rehab on it right away. You know, with brain injuries, you should come in and get it assessed. And our goal is to assess visual performance. So. Clearly, their first, you know, I would say protocol or rule of thumb is let's find out if there is a visual issue. Once we discover that there is a visual issue, then I quickly smile and reassure them and say, this is great news. <laughs> it's great news because we can help you, you know, that you've tried, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, vision was something that you didn't come across, you didn't think about. But if there's a visual issue, I can help you get back onto you know, what you were doing before. Because what they're noticing is that they were processing a ton of information, going through a ton of meetings, whatever it might be. And again, it doesn't have to be a peak performance person. It could be everybody's peak performance in their own way. It could be an amazing teacher. That's right. Who's doing a great job. Yes. And she doesn't have to be a CEO or he doesn't have to be a CEO or they could be. 
but they were doing an amazing job with students and now all of a sudden they've noticed a difference. And the good news is that if you find that it's visual, that obviously affects how they impact their impact with taking in information, processing it, and sometimes retaining it. Yes. Got it. So then, so you tell them that, Hey, it's good news. If it is visual, we can do something about it. That's right. It may not be the total cause of it. Of course, we did an episode earlier in the podcast series with Dr. Titus Chu, a functional medicine neurologist. And uh, he talks about a lot of the dietary components that play a role into traumatic brain injury. We had uh, JJ Virgin, celebrity nutritionist in our Broken Brain docuseries, talking about her son who was hit in a car accident, left for dead, and all the things that they did. But one piece of that is the visual. So if it is visual, now what do we do? Now we, now we do vision training, we do vision therapy, and that's where, again, it's understanding the development of the visual system, we start from scratch. We start as, what can you do, and what can we, where do we begin? You know, and people begin at different levels. Some people have to start at ground zero. Some people, it's just gonna take a few sessions and they're back on their feet. So everyone performs differently and depends on what your expectations are, and that's where goal setting for us is really important. Your goals versus someone else's goals completely completely different. You're processing different information and what would take one visual, I would say, um, a skill might take a longer to build compared to the other. So we're really kind of weighing out and, and when we work with athletes, we're going, okay, what sport do you play? Okay, and what, what, what sport do you play and what kind of skills do you need? What position do you play? Um, you know, what do you want to work on? And then from there, once I'm able to understand how their life functions, I'm able then to kind of come up with a formula or a recipe to say, okay, what do you think? How about we do this first and we're going to work on your shooting or we're going to work on your, your reaction time. So, or we're going to work on your speed. And then they're like, what do you mean speed? Has vision training work on my speed? And I'm going, well, if your brain if your vision has to process so much information while you're on the field, you're going to slow down because you're not your body or your brain can't allocate the right resources or it's taking away resources for to do other things. So our goal is to make the visual process for all our patients, whether if it's a kid, an adult or a sports athlete, is how do we make the visual system run like you're breathing naturally? It's not until you have inflammation or you have had an injury where you're like, wow, I used to do that with ease. Now I'm you know, hyperventilating or wow, my, ten my muscles are tensing up. How do I make it relaxed? And these are like the little subtleties that eventually add up that you realize you get them all at once. And that's where we panic. One of the things you talked about earlier is that this takes time. Yes. And Partly there's the advanced diagnosis that you do in your office that needs to come from, you know, a trained professional. And then, then there's sometimes things that you tell people to do at home to again, build that muscle up again of the eyes and maybe correct this thing that they were dealing with before you gave us the example of the pencil push up, <laughs> bringing yes. your pencil closer to your face and further away from your face. By the way, like what's the, if somebody wanted to do that because they have difficulties crossing their eyes, um, what would your protocol be of how long and how much time a day they should try that exercise? So the pencil push-up was actually, um, it's not a good exercise. It's actually an exercise that um, in isolation doesn't work. Um, what I would rather, if they're not able to do in-office vision therapy, I usually focus on the peripherals. And what I mean by that is I work on the nutrition, I work on visualization, trying to help 
restore that fight or flight mode. You know, I try to help reduce the load, whether if it's a conversation with the parents or a conversation with individuals saying, you need more time for your your vision to process information. You know, you cannot function at this rate. If you want to, then unfortunately, these are things that we could work on or you can work on other aspects of your visual system. Again, that it's relative to um, what they need. Um, but unfortunately, the exercises at home, you can do it. And, you know, eye stretches are, are one easy one that you can easily incorporate. But I, I want to be clear to all my patients that it's not going to resolve the issue. You know, the resolution is really um, tackling the specific deficiency, you know, deficiency in those skills. So it's almost like if we want to protect our eyes a little bit more, obviously we want to be mindful of you know, yes. getting injuries, things like that. There's a lot of more awareness about the types of sports that our kids play, even soccer, football, other things, and the likelihood of a brain injury. And then reducing the other peripheral stuff that's in our life, which I want to talk to you about next. But really, if you're going to address these deeper issues, you need to work with a trained vision therapist. Is there kind of like functional medicine and there's a group of functional medicine doctors that are out there? Of course, I would love people to come up to you know, Canada and come and see you. A lot of our audience is, is in the States, but if anybody's interested, they can, and we're going to talk more about your clinic and what you guys do there. Um, but is there, are there also trained visual uh, therapy practitioners around the world? Absolutely. Vision therapy is actually a worldwide practice. Um, before I forget, I, I really want to thank all my teachers that I've had in my journey of vision therapy that I wouldn't be here without them. And I want to acknowledge them for how much they've taught me as an individual and how I can help more patients. So, you know, please Google, you know, vision therapy, um, but specifically in the U.S., you can look up COVD. COVD. Yes, College of Optometrists and Vision Development.org. Um, or in Canada, they can Google Vision Therapy Canada. That's COVTNR. So in Canada, they can look that up. But COVD and CV, um and uh, COVTNR are North American fronts. I know that there's a uh, you can in the UK it's Babo. Um, in um, in there's a there's a there's a Spanish contingency. Um, uh, the name eludes me right now, but there's a European front, BOAF. Yeah, so, we can see if we can find it afterwards and link it up yes. in the show notes to all these. Uh, oh yes, links that are there. Yes, please. You know, I, I would recommend the the listeners out there to. You know, if they're struggling in some ways to go seek a professional who specializes in this to get proper feedback, whether or not this is appropriate for them. It's just good for people to know that there's this option that's out there. I consider myself to be pretty aware of the world that's happening in, in wellness. And, uh, you know, I probably in passing have come across vision therapy, but never to the degree that you've broken it down. And I think what's unique about you, um, if I can just give you some gratitude and why we wanted to reach out to you, uh, Dr. Tai, is that you, because of your own interest and also having an injury, you've connected the dots because uh, not, nothing uh, I'm sure against the industry, but just like we had uh, our dear friend and my dentist, Dr. Uh, Rashian on the podcast, not every biological dentist has gone through all the experiences she has where she knows about nutrition and she knows about this and she knows about that. So um, I love your approach because you're combining all of these things together uh, in addition to the training you've had in visual therapy, vision therapy. Yes, that's right. It's, um, I guess, through my life experiences, it's, I'm, you're always finding solutions. You're trying to solve problems that, you know, that you're going through. And again, it goes back to, I credit my, my daughter, Sydney. She's really a huge inspiration in my life where as a parent, you want to provide as much as you can for your kids. And, you know, knowing that 
if I can enhance her visual skills, it allows her to develop into the person that she can be. It's not going to, hopefully vision is what's not going to limit her. Um, and that's what I wish upon everyone is that, you know, if you're struggling with achieving certain goals, you know, please look out and see if vision is really a culprit. You know, is vision, you know, something that needs to resolve for you to kind of take it to that next level in any aspect of your life? Give us a list. You know, we I want to use some of our time that's remaining on some practical aspects. But again, in terms of making the connection, what are some of the other categories of either full blown out diseases or things that people traditionally uh, think of as just, oh, well, I was just born with a lazy eye. You know, can you run through just a few of them as examples that are commonly that vision therapy could be a useful part in treating it? May not be the whole issue, and sometimes it is, but it could be a useful part in treating it. Um, Vision therapy can help in many ways. Um, More specifically in education is reading and writing. Um, how you hold your pencil, how you write, or even how fast you type. Um, it could be um, understanding the content. There are some people that just reverse reverses concepts all the time. Um, it can also help you with gym class. A lot of our patients don't like gym. You know, it's a, they dread gym class, which to me, I think was, you know, growing up, you're like, man, that's my favorite class. So it was, it was something that it should be enjoyable, but, um, those are sort of you know educational um, areas where vision therapy can help, but it could also help kids who are spect- uh, on the spectrum. Their brains are wired differently. Um, so when your brain is wired differently, you see things differently. So a lot of the times kids who are on the spectrum, they have trouble making eye contact. You know, the one reason why they have trouble making eye contact is maybe there's other distracting things around the room that really kind of, you know, that they can't grasp all in one shot. So that's what we stimulated. Yeah, they, it's what we call central peripheral integration. They can't, you know, focus on the person in front of them and also pay attention to the surroundings. They can't do them simultaneously, which we do effortlessly. We don't even think about. Um, we vision therapy. You know, the fundamentals of vision therapy is with lazy eyes. You know, kids who are born with a crossed eye, you know, or one eye that's stronger than the other. That's where the root of vision training really came from. You know, late in the 1800s, um, it was actually developed by an ophthalmologist. But later, I'm not sure what happened with you know certain with the ophthalmology side, but it just got dropped, and optometrists picked it back up. And that's where you know that is really the premise of vision training is that we can help kids who have a lazy eye because it's not a in some cases, this is um, this is a, a hot topic. Is in our opinion, is it may not be related to a muscle issue. It may be related to a brain issue that your brain has trouble using both eyes simultaneously, and that's something that should be explored first. Um, people who have brain injuries, we have you know patients who have motor vehicle accidents, you know up here in Canada's hockey injuries um, or sports accidents or like literally how you said is we have a patient who hit her head on her cabinet and she wasn't able to function um, and we help stroke patients. We right. help actually- Let's talk about stroke for a second because I, I saw that and so I probably just cut you off if you were going to say anyway, but tell me a little bit more about stroke patients and what you do with them. So usually stroke patients um, in, a, in a very traditional setting is that they're missing a part of their vision. So they're missing like, say, half of their vision. They can only see half of the room unless they turn their heads or they're moving their eyes. So some of these patients, they just want their life back. 
you know, they literally get lost in the shopping mall. And you're like, it's not the fact they can't see in the shopping mall, but it's what strokes also affect is the other aspects in your brain. You know, the strokes affect different areas of your brain and it could be from their memory. They forget what they used to do. I had the lady where she, you know, she's in her 60s or 70s and she says, I forget to cook. I get flustered when I go to the grocery store. I get there with great intentions and she goes, I have a panic attack because I'm going, what am I doing here? You know, or we help stroke patients, depending on their case, uh, help them to drive again. In Ontario, you can drive after a stroke with special training. So those are things that were really fortifying their visual skill sets of how do you drive with this piece of information missing and drive safely. So those are things that we're working together with other professionals like occupational therapists, neurologists, and family physicians. We're all working together to kind of help this person get their life back. And these are people who just want to drive to the grocery store. And really, that's what our goals are, is that they know that they're not going to be comfortable driving from Toronto, New York, or wherever it is. But, you know, they just want their, they want a better quality of life. And again, I think that it's so beautiful because it's just being aware that these tools are out there. Maybe you're listening and you haven't been through a stroke. Maybe you don't have kids and, or maybe you have kids and they don't, they're perfectly fine. They don't have any sort of learning disability that you know of. Um, but some of us in our life will end up with a head injury, you know, through a car accident or through something. I wish health upon everybody, but it's likely that something will happen either with that or you could end up you know, family member with a stroke or somebody's friend, uh, your friends that have kids who have these issues. And it's good to know about these tools that are available because um, just because they're not recommended by your primary care physician or your general physician or even sometimes specialist doesn't mean that there's not tools that are out there to help people begin to heal. That's right. It's um, one interesting, I would say, uh, subgroup that, that I'm really very fascinated to learn about, and I know Dr. Hyman is, is Alzheimer's patients. As you know, that um, one of the key deposits that's found in the brain are amyloid beta plaques, but you can actually find them fairly abundant in the retina because, again, the retina is part of the brain. And one thing that's quite interesting that I would say current research is really investigating is that you can actually detect it decades before because their eye control decreases. And if we had to create a proper baseline for our patients, that changes the landscape. You know, could you imagine just informing your patient saying, wow, you used to be able to do this and this before, or what we have in our offices, you can actually have what's called an MPOT. It measures the macular pigments in your eyes. So you can actually measure how much pigment there is and be able to predict ahead of time how you can help them. And that really changes their perspective their visual on like no one intended of how their health is you can show them on the computer screen when i show diabetics you have retinopathy you have bleeding in your eye you need to really control your sugar levels you really need to take a hold of this or you're going to lose your vision and those are things that there's a lot of new computerized tools and a lot of new machines that we're looking into that can really i would say push you know the, the food revolution is like are you really taking care of yourself and if we had a map or a computer that can really tell you 
is your brain growing or shrinking? And if you had that tool, imagine how what everyone else what they would react to is like you know having like a smoker is like can you see the smoke affecting your lungs? Do you still want that? And it's always your decision as an individual. But I think as a medical practitioner, we want to educate as much as we can and share the information and let your patients make the decision that it's appropriate for them. Sometimes they don't want to do vision therapy. Maybe it's not the right time. Maybe, you know what, for some other reason, they just can't do it. But as long as I give them information and I inform them properly that this is an avenue and, you know, these are all your options. So sometimes surgery is an option, you know, going to your ophthalmologist. And it's really the patient's, I would say, decision to make, not mine. You know, my role as a physician is educate and to... Educate and provide options. That's right. And that's where I'm really strongly on. And that's where I would say we as a professional network, you know, and trying to respect... Uh, my colleagues within optometry trying to respect, um, you know, conventional medical doctors, you know, specialists, we need to work together and start the conversation, which is what I'm really appreciative for, for you and Dr. Hyman have been really doing for the medical community is that this is a topic that needs to be discussed. Nutrition besides vision therapy really affects your eye health you know reduction of having a low carb diet really reduces your chances of glaucoma you know or it helps reduce um, uh, your chances of macular degeneration an interesting fact about macular degeneration i don't know if dr Hyman would be interested is that uh, there is a molecule called retinol that plus blue light and blue light's a big topic these days um, increases your chances of I would say uh, having macular degeneration, but there's also a link to heart disease, cancer, diabetes, depression, and then that's where they're finding is that once the, this this molecule retinol is being activated, it travels through your blood system, and it's being stimulated or activated by blue light, and that's the part where I educate my patients is you should try to really cut down the amount of blue light you have, like pay attention to your lighting in your house. LED lights, which traditionally have blue light, blue light that comes from our screens yes. and people looking at their phones really late at night, right before they go to sleep and that exposure to blue light. Yes, they can. Um, patients could easily ask for optometrists that you can actually, and again, it's not the cure, but you can actually have a blue light filter. You do need blue light during the day because blue light during the day helps stimulate your energy, helps you increase your concentration. Helps you wake up and it's part of the natural process that... Uh, you know, has our natural rhythm of, of cortisol that's produced yes. in the body and some of the other hormones. Yeah, but it restricts your production of melatonin. So when you're staring at your computer at night, you're not producing melatonin, which is needed to help you have a good level of sleep. And sleep, as you know, is really important for our brain health. It's the time that your body repairs itself. And if you're not getting that deep sleep and it's being affected by the amount of blue light you have in your home or how much you take in, you know what? That brain of yours is 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 climbing uphill. It's swimming up the water. So that's a lot harder of a of a feat to you know to kind of overcome. On a practical level, of course, you're seeing patients. You have to work in, within the constraints of sometimes their jobs. I'm here interviewing you on this podcast on vision therapy with two big screens in front of me, <laughs> one with notes, one with a monitor, just sort of seeing how the audio levels are. And uh, I I don't know if you can see, but in my eyes. As long as I've been an entrepreneur and you know I have great nutrition and everything else, I've always had a little redness that's in the inside. You know, going back to your comment earlier, like this is the dying of our glands. Yes, right. And uh, I do my best to give myself um, 
breaks. I look away from my computer often. I'm lucky I have windows in my office and where we're recording and here in this little recording studio that we made out of a makeshift Airbnb. Um, and I often look out in the distance and I create contrast. You know, I don't try to look too closely. What other things could I do and some of the people that are listening could do to help with that level of strain, which is kind of comes from our just modern living? Um, one easy thing you can do is you can apply the 20-20-20 rule, which is basically every 20 minutes, try to look anywhere for anywhere beyond 20 feet for 20 seconds, So, which is exactly what you're doing now. Another thing you can easily do is you can get a pair of glasses. So one thing that's quite interesting is that this is, talks about myopia, is that our eyes are actually not geared towards reading. Our, we're hunter-gatherers. Our primary you know objective of our eyes is to see far so when you're looking up close it actually imposes a level of stress and what you can easily do is get a pair of glasses with a blue filter and with it and it blocks about 10 to 15 percent of the blue light not everything because again you need all of it so i'm not quite um in line with those yellow tinted sunglasses that you see some people wear so you still need some of it um, but you can easily wear that to help reduce the strain because when you reduce the strain, you're not getting into that fight or flight. And one quick tool that everyone could easily use is if you shine a, a light on your pupil. And so if you're shining a light on your pupil, normally it should constrict. And it should be able to constrict for about 10 to 15 seconds. However, if you start to see your pupil pulse, or if worst case, it just kind of dilates back up, it really means that your the pupil test is called the alpha omega pupil. It's a really quick test to look whether you're in fight or flight. So a family physician could easily just shine a light and say, are you really under stress? You get a feel. You can tell from someone's case history that you must be under stress or the way they look. But generally, you can eat. people don't lie. Your, 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 your nervous system does not lie. It's, it's, it's going to tell the truth. And that's sort of where we use certain tools within optometry to help really help us understand what is really going on. Your body is going to respond a certain way. And that's where each of us are doing our own separate tests. So one really important thing that you mentioned that I just want to make sure that we highlight, you know, our, our vision was never really designed for, for reading. Reading is a technology that we've invented through the written word. And so your recommendation would be that most people get some type of glasses that help reduce the strain. Is that what I heard? Yeah, my daughter. And what kind of glasses would you, would you recommend? I mean, I know of this company called uh, Felix in the U S that basically makes glasses for computer use. And I heard about it through my sister, shout out to Kea Perot, who's the director of the Broken Brain docuseries. Um, It's glasses that you specifically use anytime that you're using the computer. They're not prescription and they block out a little bit of blue light. There's a slight tint on them and they help reduce eye strain. So would you recommend something like that? Yes, I'm not sure about that product specifically, but yeah, something like that would help. You know, ideally you want to incorporate a prescription that is customized to you. So everyone needs a different number or a different type of prescription. But yes, starting like that is, is, a, is a first step. And you were saying something about your daughter. You have, your, you have glasses for your daughter? Yes. So I encourage her. And I would say this is the parent aspect is whenever she can remember, I, I try to advise her to wear glasses when she's doing her homework. or when Even she's though reading. she doesn't have a need for uh, like, are they prescription? Yes. Yeah. She's um, thankfully she's not myopic at the moment. So she doesn't need glasses to see. So uh, myopia um, tying back to uh, genetics and the environment is that myopia is not normal. 
Nearsightedness is That's also right. known, known as are, nearsightedness. These are people who need glasses to see far away. Um, some facts to throw out is that when you look at the native population in Canada or the Pacific Islands, um, early somewhere in the 1900s, there was less than a 1% um, prevalence of myopia. With the introduction of Western foods or lifestyles, there's debate and there's evidence showing that it's both or one or the other, that it quickly rose to 50%. Wow. In one generation. That's and, huge. You know, in North America and Europe, people are seeing these huge trends, spikes. Uh, I know that when you start to look at the Asian studies in Hong Kong, Taiwan, Korea, you're looking at myopia prevalence of over 80% easily. So what causes it, and this is sort of the, the big debate, is it's always a combination of genes. Sometimes you're just susceptible, and then that's where you know genes play always a role, but also the environment, your nutrition, the stress levels that's affected. Are you being outdoors a lot? There are studies, there's a Singapore study that outlined where being outside getting enough vitamin d you know and that's where you talked about how kids with certain myopia they are they found that there's a correlation where they have a lower intake of calories protein fats vitamins you know but these are kids who are not undernourished they're not malnourished they just have they lack these nutrients and they have a higher tendency of developing myopia they're not malnourished in terms of calories but they're malnourished in terms of nutrients that's right that was a clear fact that the study was trying to prove is that it's not that you know they were not they were not malnourished they were just your average child but they're just eating the wrong foods so we've we've talked about diet a lot and i i know i just want to come back to this because i just want to i love clarity yes. on the podcast and i love clarity because our listeners are so action oriented so what would be a would if they wanted to get glasses for reading but they traditionally don't have um uh they don't wear glasses which I have a funny story about, which I want to tell you about on the podcast in a second. Um, what would they just go to their regular eye doctor and say, Hey, I don't have, uh, you know, I don't think, you know, they can have an eye exam and that sort of stuff. I don't need prescription glasses to read, but I need, what would they say to them? I need glasses for, to reduce strain in reading. Yeah. They would ask for optometrists is would a pair of reading glasses benefit me? You know, can you use your test? So what we, what I do is I use my what's called my retinoscope, and I actually look neurologically whether your eyes um, accept it. Your your eyes actually go really bright inside it. Neurologically, you are really you've accepted that prescription. It's really cool. When I was taught that skill or that technique, I thought, oh my lord, this is like this is cooler than cool. You know, and that's where you can see when kids are not engaged and I'm using my light and when you look inside their pupil, which is that that black hole in there, it actually is dark. When your kids are not listening to you and I'm looking at with my light, it's dark. But then when they're when you give them something that they like, some toy or some game that they like, it actually lights up. It's actually really instantaneous. It was like Wow, this this I can't believe you know as an optometrist I have this tool to look right into you know right into the brain the neurology you can see it kind of be activated or if I put too much prescription or too little you can see your eyes react differently it's like sort of like this internal sensor that they don't even know that's there that I'm always constantly checking and so that's how I check people's eyes but your listeners can go to an optometrist and they should be able to see it. So when they wear the glasses and they're looking at the paper, it should give them that instantaneous, whoa, this feels good. Wow, 
it feels really comfortable. I, I don't, yeah, it feels good. You know, that's what usually as a patient, that's what they would say. And that's what I'm looking for is whether or not it's beneficial. If obviously if they're not going to say, ah, oh, makes no difference. That's when I'm like, maybe this is not the right tool. Maybe we have to approach helping reduce your chance of myopia or help reduce your eye strain differently. That's where we talk about lighting. We talk about posture. We talk about how you sit. We talk about exercise. An interesting fact is that when you actually improve your core, you know, you actually improve your focusing system. And that's mm. where we actually get a lot of our patients to stretch. So that was the other part where, you know, if people who have trouble touching the toes, I think it should be like a priority that people are there really stretching out their whole system because they're going to feel that their system opens up. You know, when athletes are stressed, you know, they have an injury. They don't realize that you have this tunnel vision effect. That's where you miss that play. You miss that sh- that pass or you miss that shot that you normally would routinely have or you know right now it's raining outside but it's like you're driving in traffic and you're like so nervous it's so tense all you could do is focus on the car in front of you so people who don't love to drive especially in traffic and they get really nervous that it gives them the sweats that's an indication that there's a vision problem because their visual system is playing it's it's like showing you that you know what it's it's, it's going through that sympathetic parasympathetic, of the fight or flight or relax mode. It's like it's giving you all these signals that, you know what, it's something's not right and you should listen to your body. Another reminder that it's all connected. Um, you know, I don't share too much uh, about my personal life on here, but just a funny story that's so related to these glasses. Uh, so just earlier in the year, I was at a very um, high profile wedding. And uh, the day before and like the couple days before, I was noticing a lot of strain in my eyes. My eyes were so red and there was a lot of twitching that was there, which usually I know is an indication that I've been like maybe overworking and they they weren't relaxing. And my sister had bought me a pair of these glasses. We'll send you the company and sure. if you like it, we'll put in the show notes that uh, it's a great company. We have no affiliation with them. It's a company called Felix. And I that morning of the wedding, because I had to get dressed up and head over and my eyes were twitching and I was going to meet so many people and have to do the social thing. I was worried that my eye, my eyes were twitching so much that I was looking in the mirror and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to be very uncomfortable socially. So I put on these glasses, which I normally traditionally only wear with, you know, doing computer work, right? So I won't get into the whole thing, but through a crazy story, series of events, I ended up walking in to this wedding with one of the most famous people in the world Yes, uh, next, next to her, but I had glasses on. And I was on the news and I was on TV and of course nobody knows who I am. And they were like, and my friends saw this and were like, some of them sent me a message. Some of them knew I was going, some of them didn't. They sent me a message and it was like, there's a guy in England that looks exactly like you, but we know you don't wear glasses, (laughs) so it's not you. And there, and then a few of my friends said, why'd you wear glasses? Was it because you just wanted to look smart? Did you just want to like look the, the part? I was like, no, I genuinely had so much eye strain that it was the glasses that I just wore for a temporary bit and my twitching in my eyelid, it stopped. Interesting, so, isn't it? Anyways, I don't know if that has anything to do with anything besides just being a funny story. Uh, it but does. I thought I'd share that with you. It does. You're limiting the information that reaches your eye. So anytime you have experienced what's called photophobia or light sensitivity, your brain, again, your body is telling you, you know what? This is just too much. I need to shut down. I need to kind of close my eyes because even regular light is bothering me. 
So that's the part where, again, you have all these self-check systems. And just like your previous guests, they've told you self-check systems of different parts of the body. With your vision, it's all about, are you light sensitive? You know, it is important to protect your eyes from light, to protect you from UV. So you reduce your chance of cataracts or macular degeneration, but you should be able to keep your eyes open. But if you have to close them or it starts to create a twitch, your eyes or your visual system is strained. That's your only way that your visual system is giving you signals is that you have all the strain right at the front part of your you know, your, your face, like right above your eyes, your, your muscles are tense. That's the only thing that you can physically feel. But internally, just like your brain, you don't have feeling, you don't have feeling inside uh, your, your eyes, you know, that part, you don't, there's no receptors there. All the receptors are on the cornea or on the muscles. That's amazing. And in in addition to, um, you know, one of the first things in a, in a functional medicine office, when they're doing an intake and they talk to you about eye strain, if you are very light sensitive, again, going back to the fight or flight response, it's often an indication that there's adrenal fatigue yes. because when you're in fight or flight response, you've just overused your adrenals. They're not working at the best capacity. You're in sort of debt, adrenal debt, because yes. you don't have the basic building blocks. So uh, another thing to look into, uh, if somebody is relating to this information, check out vision therapy, but and, and also you know have your functional medicine doctor look at adrenal fatigue or your naturopathic doctor. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, it's it's everything's kind of it's always it's all connected. It's all all connected. An interesting story, just to, please, please, please. Um, where I I want to share this because this is really personal for me. Is that um, I recently took my wife's grandmother um, to see the ophthalmologist, and then it was the ophthalmologist who really linked. Um, IBD, inflammatory bowel disease, to having what's called a central retinal artery occlusion. So she's 90. She's fairly in good health. We, I did all the blood work, sent her to the family physician, got all the blood work you know, there. Maybe a little bit high in the cholesterol, but not absurd. And then her blood pressure was fine. And then normally the culprit for central retinal vein occlusion is high blood pressure. That's one of the easy ones. But you know, that's where the ophthalmologist who I took her to quickly said, oh, and then this is this is the part where I'm going, why didn't you tell me this? Then Allison later came out through her case history that she had ulcerative colitis. Wow. And then he said that, did you know that the inflammation that it causes within that the gut lining can cause blood clots? And then it shoots off all these blood clots throughout your body. And one easy place it goes into is your eye. And that causes a lot of hemorrhaging. Her vision was... And this is the part where it affects me at home because this is very common is that she came in to see me and then she's like, you know, one eye was 2020 and the other eye was like 2200. I was like, wow. I just paused and thought, this is happening to my family. Oh my gosh. And I said, didn't you know that there was something wrong with your eye? And she goes, no. I, you know, who covers one eye? <laughs> and I was like, and this is, these are, you know, things I read all the time. You hear from patients, but hits a personal note. And I just find it ironic, or you could say, you know, this needs to be addressed for this, for this interview is that this was just literally last week. And I quickly Googled, there was like a lot of literature talking about how inflammatory bowel disease can have all these ocular manifestations. And this is one of the most severe ones and that happened within my family. And then, Really, I felt like, wow, we need to talk. I need to talk to her and her family about how do we restore her gut health and how do we you know, start the conversation. And that really shocked me because it was definitely something that 
you know, people forget to tell their doctor about, oh, I have depression, I have adrenal fatigue. No one would tell their optometrist. No one wants to tell their optometrist that their child is struggling in school or they're having brain fog or they can't concentrate or, you know, their eyes are always red. They're using whatever it takes to, to get it less red. So no one knows what to tell us. So, but it's a, it's just a reminder that everything is interconnected. And I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful to be here and I'm grateful to share uh, stories so listeners out there can take control of their life and really make it to the best they can. You know, I have this goal of uh, to live, and I told my daughter I'm going to live till 123. And the only reason is that uh, I told her, well, first thing is that it is possible in, in our generation, but it's just a goal. It's I want to be 123 and fit. A healthy 123. Yeah, fit, that's right. Doing your thing. Yeah, and if you can picture yourself, and this is where I I'm inspired by the podcast is that if I really take care of myself, I'm not going to be what I thought a 90 or 100 year old is going to be. I want to be out there skiing. I want to be out there running. I want to be out there doing what I want. I want to practice as long as I can. And it really starts off with, again, doing the basics, you know, diet, exercise, sleep, you know, good hygiene, visual hygiene, dental hygiene. You guys have covered it all. And I'm like a listener too. I love listening to your podcast. I'm taking notes. I threw out uh, my toothpaste, you know, looking at the research about fluoride being a neurotoxin. Sugars are neurotoxins. So I'm slowly kind of, you know, I would say decreasing. And you had a um, someone that you interviewed and I really like what he said was base hits. And I said, that's all yeah, about taking, Ryan. Yeah, taking one step at a time. You know what? Just do what you can, you know, start with one meal, start with one elimination. So you don't need to do everything. And that's the part where people get overwhelmed and you just need to start somewhere. Just start at what inspires you, what is easy to do. And from there, you can slowly change your life. Just like how I felt like I've changed my life through my, you know, I would say experiences of changing my diet, changing my vision, changing so many aspects that I feel that, you know what, I'm, I'm a completely different person, you know, 10 compared to 10 years or 20 years ago. Dr. Tai, yeah. you are amazing. And I thank you so much for coming on here and giving the same thing that you feel that you've gotten from other people. You just did that to our listeners over here. You made it accessible. You gave them examples. You shared your personal story. And of course, it's all about base hits, but it's the right base hits for what you're dealing with. And I think that with this podcast, people will now have an understanding, if they didn't know about it before, a vision therapy, the possibility through there, some of the nuggets that you share, that if that's what you've been struggling with, if you've had a traumatic brain injury, if you have a child that's on the spectrum, all these other examples that we used, including the example of your of your mother-in-law, and by the way, I hope she continues to get better, um, then you can identify with that and know that there's a methodology and a way to move forward. So uh, if people want to find out more about your clinic and, you know, for those that are, that are not familiar, like flying into Canada is so easy. I come all the time to Toronto and actually the airport, the international airport is right in Mississauga. That's right. So you literally can land and they're just a couple minutes away from your practice. Tell, how can they find out more about you? How can they find out more about your practice and, and some of the great work that you guys do and, and potentially if they're interested uh, coming in for, to be a patient? Your listeners can easily just find me on online um, at drfabiantai.com. That's D-R-F-A-B-I-A-N-T-A-I.com. 
Uh, send me an email, send my team an email. My team's awesome. My team, I'm so blessed to have a great team that helps support me with what I do. It allows me to keep on expanding, but please email, email us with any questions, any inquiries. If you know they have any advice, we'll try to give, um, I would say, the, the, the right advice as much as we can. You know, sometimes it's hard to give advice when you can't, when you don't see someone, but I can help connect them if that's if that's the case, just because they can't fly to Toronto, I really feel that everyone should, you know, if their vision is a restriction in their life, they should really seek someone who specializes in vision therapy so they can get the help that's appropriate. You know, there's one in four kids have a vision problem. Wow. Yeah, and actually there's a high percentage of people um, who are juvenile delinquents that have vision problems. So these are big issues that we can tackle as a society. You know, people, again, want to contribute to life. People want to be you know, useful. People want to share what they have with the world. And sometimes vision is really the restriction. And that's the part where I really want to spread the news and hopefully people will, you know, discover for themselves how it can change your life if vision is an issue for them. That's so beautiful. I love the mission. Yeah. Thank you. And we're grateful for you. Thank you very much, Drew. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not, I repeat, it's not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional medicine practitioner, you can visit ifm.org and search their find a provider database. It's important that you have somebody in your corner that's qualified, that's trained, that's a licensed healthcare practitioner helping you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.